we are in Galatians, I believe. First chapter. Have you been enjoying Galatians? We did that reading service, which was amazing. I went to all three, and each one got better. Um, we And Pastor Mark, I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't believe it from the bottom of my heart. Pastor Mark is just preaching lights out in Galatians. I, these, these first messages have been the best in the book of Galatians I've ever heard, maybe the best, period. So we are a blessed church to have a man like that that loves God's word so much and loves you and me so much that he studies and he prepares and he just comes to bring the truth. It's so great. We are going to be in, at the end of chapter 1 and we're going to be looking at the life of somebody you probably have heard of, Paul, the author of this letter. And it's a story of his life. And to me, I think it's the most unexpected and dramatic story in the Bible. So, if you like a good story, this is a great one. First, let's pray, please. Father, we come tonight because of one thing. We want to give our love to you, and now we want to just receive your voice. We want to hear what you would have us learn from this passage of Scripture, from your holy word. Father, please, your Father, please, don't let me get in the way. Just speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 1, 13 to uh, 24. While you're turning there, let me just kind of catch us up to remind us why Paul is writing this letter. Paul is writing to a group of churches, not just one church, but a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. This is a Gentile region in what we call central Turkey today, Galatia and Turkey. These Gentiles gladly received the gospel of Christ when Paul was there to preach the word of the Lord to them. But when Paul left, false teachers moved in. False teachers are called Judaizers. They were legalists. And they came from the Christian church in Jerusalem to correct. They wanted to correct Paul's teaching. That's why they came. What did Paul teach? Let's start with that. Paul preached the gospel of Christ. Gospel means good news. And the good news that Paul proclaimed was that God forgives sin and grants us eternal life to any and all that put their faith, your faith, my faith in the Son of God. Paul proclaimed that salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned in any way. After Paul left, false teachers came to Galatia and said something like this. I'm paraphrasing and making some of this up, but this is basically the tone. They said, um, hey, we welcome you Gentiles to our family. We are your Jewish brothers from the mother church in Jerusalem, home of the original apostles. You Gentiles are sort of religious rookies when it comes to God, but our forefathers have been worshiping God and obeying the law of Moses for over a thousand years. And the false teacher said this. Listen carefully. They said, faith in Jesus. Oh, it's important. But, but, you Gentiles, you Gentiles must become Jewish converts before you can become Christians. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to obey the law of Moses like we do. Paul should have told you that. But Paul's not really an apostle. To Paul's dismay and outrage, his beloved Galatian believers 
for not only listening to these lies, they were believing them. This is what false teachers do. This is what makes false teachers so dangerous then and now. False teachers do not show up with a name badge that says, Hi, I'm a false teacher. I came to twist the truth. No, false teachers come. They, they speak Christian lingo. They quote the Bible. They can be so sincere and even charismatic. Do you, remember, do you remember what Jesus said about false teachers? Let me put that on the screen for you. You say in Galatians, we'll put Matthew 7, 15 up for you. This is from the New Living Translation. I just like how this was said. Here's what Jesus said. He said, beware, look out, watch out for false prophets who come disguised as what? Harmless. Little ba-ba-ba, little soft, fluffy sheep. Oh, we're not going to bother you. We're one of you. Harmless sheep. But what are they really? Vicious wolves. Not just wolves that are out there chilling. These are vicious wolves. The goal of false teachers, the goal of false teaching is always the same. It's to shift the focus away from Jesus onto something else. And the most two co- most common things that false teachers want to shift away to is a doctrine of works. A doctrine of works says, here's what you need to do to earn your way to heaven, to earn God's favor. Or they shift to man-made traditions. That's the doctrine that says, well, you've got to become like us. You've got to do what we do to earn favor with God. In our passage today, Paul's going to defend his calling as an apostle and the message, the gospel of Christ that he preached. But don't make a mistake here. Paul is making this defense not because his pride is wounded and he's trying to save his reputation. That's not his concern at all. Paul's only concern is his usefulness for Christ, for the Galatian churches. He urgently wants to get them back on the right road, so he will defend himself for their sake, not his own. Let me give you the outline. It's a big one. I hope you can write all this down. It's a big outline today. There it is. Paul's credentials, verses 13 to 24. Well, let's read now his credentials. It's, this is Paul's spiritual autobiography. It begins in verse 13. That's our passage, but I want to start reading at verse 11. Pastor Mark preached on 11 and 12 last week beautifully, but let me just start in verse 11. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Verse 20 says, Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown to sight, my sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Samuel Johnson was an English 
author in the, in the 1700s, and he said this. I'm sure you've heard this quote before. He said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. We need to remember what we already know more than we need to try to put more stuff in there. So Paul is, begins his letter by reminding his, lead, his readers about facts they knew that they had forgotten. Look at verse 13. For you have heard, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. Paul went all out, and I tried to destroy it. Let's turn together to Acts chapter 7, verse 58 to 60. Keep your place in Galatians, because we're coming back, because we have more to do. But we're going to be in Acts for just a little bit. We're going to be in chapter 7, chapter 8, and move around a little bit in Acts. But let's remind ourselves of Paul's story. Again, if you like a good story, this is a great one. He's reminding him ourselves of uh, his former manner of life. Acts 7, 58 to 60. And when they, the religious leaders, had driven Stephen out of the city, the city is Jerusalem, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid, their, laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Paul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Stephen died. So here we see young Paul starting out as the coat check guy for the mob that executed Stephen, the first martyr of the new church. Let's keep right on reading. In chapter 8, verse 1-3, this is continuous. The rest of the story. And Saul, that's Paul, was in hearty agreement, full agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and the believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. They mourned deeply for their brother. But Saul, and that's Paul, began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. What a nice guy. Paul went from watching others do the dirty work to doing the dirty work himself. He would go through Jerusalem kicking in doors and arresting Christian men and women. Can you imagine? Can you imagine their screams? Can you imagine their prayers? As these men and women were being dragged away from their homes, away from their children, away from their grandchildren, they, their only crime, their only crime was that they loved Jesus. Paul hated the name of Jesus. Let's read Paul's own description of these times. Turn to Acts 26, verse 9 to 11. Paul himself is going to share exactly what was going on in his mind and what he was doing. These are Paul's own words about these events. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 to 11. This is Paul speaking. He said, So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things, not just a few things. I had to do many things. Hostile. Hostile means aggressively vicious. Paul said, I thought to myself, I had to do many things aggressively vicious to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Wow. Paul showed no mercy. 
He enjoyed throwing Christians in prison. And when these innocent grandmothers and grandfathers, moms and dads, newlyweds and singles went up on charges, Paul voted every time for the death penalty. At this point, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why would a guy like Paul ever become a Christian? How? How could a hater of Jesus ever become an evangelist for Jesus? Turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. We'll get that answer. Because after ravaging the church in Jerusalem, Paul decided to take his hatred on the road. He became a traveling persecutor to other cities. But a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus. Let's read it. Acts 9, 1 to 6. Now Saul, that's Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters, that's legal permission, from the high priest to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the name for the followers of Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was his plan. Verse 3. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Paul hated everything to do with Jesus until he met Jesus. And in that instant, in that instant, Paul's life made a dramatic U-turn. This is what Jesus does then and now. Jesus changes lives. Let's go back to our passage in Galatians. As Paul defends his call as an apostle of Christ and the gospel that he preached, Paul reminds his, his readers about his own life, how it was radically transformed by the truth and by Jesus himself. So Paul is going to offer his own life as Exhibit A in his defense. This is what we would call Paul's personal testimony. Have you ever heard someone share their testimony like Manny did last night? Have you ever hear somebody share a testimony? Some people, some Christians have dramatic testimonies that are so riveting you could make a movie out of their testimonies. That's been done, by the way. Have you ever thought quietly to yourself, well, I don't want to share my testimony. My story is nothing special. If we look up the word testimony in the dictionary, it means a testimony is a, a statement of fact given under oath in a court of law. It's a statement given under oath in a court of law. That's all a testimony is. It's a statement of fact. Your Christian testimony does not need to be movie-making material. It just needs to be true. You tell somebody, Jesus changed my life in this way. Or these are the ways that my life is different because of Jesus. That's all it is. If we feel like our testimony isn't very exciting, that's our pride talking. Because every testimony is exciting. Do you know why? Because every person that trusts in Jesus is a miracle. You're a miracle if you have trusted in Christ. When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth, personally entered your life to transform you into the man or woman he created you to be. God adopted you into his family as his son or his daughter. 
God's very own spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, now lives in you. What could be more exciting than that? Listen to this testimony from singer-songwriter Matthew West. He says, My name is child of the one true king. I've been saved. I've been changed. I've been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. My name is child of the one true king. I hope that's a testimony everybody here can claim. Years ago, I was teaching a uh, Sunday school class, many years ago, fifth and sixth grade boys. They were learning to write out their testimonies. And one boy shared his testimony and said before he came to Christ, he did some things that were pretty sinful. I had to ask him what it was. He said he used to take his mom's bowl of plastic fruit, take the fruit out of the bowl, and try to flush the fruit down the toilet. But then when he came to Christ, he realized he didn't want to do anything to disappoint his mom or to disobey his mom, so he stopped flushing her fruit. What a simple, funny, but powerful testimony of a change. That was a young boy. That was over 30 years ago, and I've never forgotten. When you share your story with someone, you have no idea how God's going to use that in their lives. In verse 13, Paul says he used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, no limits, and tried to destroy it. The word destroy here is what the Greeks used for sacking a city. That's what he want, Paul wanted to do. He wanted to annihilate the church, wipe it off the face of the earth. Verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous than for my ancestral traditions. Judaism is the name for the Jewish religious system that insisted that people obey religious laws. Not only the law of Moses, but also the laws that all the rabbis have been written, writing for generation upon generation. And these man-made traditions were regarded as having the same authority as the law of Moses, as the law of God. Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism. Great word. Advancing in the Greek means to chop ahead. This is like what you do with machete if you're going to clear a trail. Paul was blazing a trail to the top of Judaism. He was heading for the Hall of Fame. And he, he saw Christians as branches, like branches and vines, and he would do anything to ch chop and hack them down if they were in his way. Paul says he was extremely zealous. Zealous means passionate, devoted. Was God the object of his joy? Look what he says. Paul was fanatical about his ancestral traditions, those collections of laws written by rabbis for generations. The Judaizers were telling the Galatian Christians that they must follow the human traditions that Paul once followed. So Paul is telling them, Galatians, you have to remember who I was because if the self-righteousness that comes from keeping human traditions was worth anything, Paul, the zealot, would never have forsaken those human traditions. But he did forsake those traditions. Why? Because he met Jesus. And man-made religion is worthless compared to the great things that are ours in Christ. Verse 15 to 17. Huh. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Paul declares that God, God set him apart. God set him apart. To be set apart means to be sanctified, be ordained, 
to be chosen for a purpose. Now the wonderful question, wonderful question you and I have to ask is when did God set Paul apart? When did God choose Paul? Did God choose Paul after Paul saw the error of his ways? After Paul confessed his sin and after Paul came to Christ on that road to Damascus? No. God chose Paul before he was born. God chose Paul. And God chose you. you, And God chose me before we did anything to deserve it. This is a fantastic picture of God's grace. Grace means undeserved favor. Are you sitting here thinking today that maybe you have to do a few things to earn God's favor? This is what the Judaizers were teaching. They were threatening people with the wrath and judgment of God if you don't toe that religious line. But the gospel of Christ does not threaten. The gospel of Christ announces that Jesus came to forgive your sins and my sins by the grace of God. The gospel of Christ declares that your salvation and my salvation is a work of God, not a work that we can do. Before Paul met Jesus, Paul was doing everything he could to earn God's wrath, not God's love. We all deserve God's wrath because of the sin in our lives. But this is the shining hope of the gospel that Paul preached to the Gentiles. Their salvation and our salvation has nothing to do with our worthiness. It has everything to do with Christ's faithfulness. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins and his blood washed us clean. God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he defeated sin and death forever so you and I could have eternal life. We are saved by trusting completely in the work that Jesus did, not in any work that we can do. God has a purpose. God has a plan for each one of us to love his son. What was Paul's special purpose? Look at verse 16. Paul says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God chose Paul for two reasons. First, that Paul would personally know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Second, Paul would preach Jesus to the Gentiles. God has a great sense of humor. This is really funny. God chose Paul to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul's father was a Pharisee. Pharisees hated Gentiles. To a Pharisee, a Gentile was a heathen, created for only one reason, to fuel the fires of hell. But did you notice that God revealed Jesus in Paul? Not just to Paul, but in Paul? When God revealed Jesus in Paul, God gave Paul a new heart to love people he once hated with a passion. Look back at verse 13 and 14. Did you see this? That before Paul met Jesus, the emphasis is all on himself. I persecuted. I advanced. I was more zealous. But after Paul takes Jesus into his heart, look at verse 15 and 16. The emphasis has changed. God set me apart. God called me through his grace. God revealed his son in me that I might preach him. When Jesus enters our lives, we stop living for ourselves. We start living for him. Changes may be sudden like Paul, but they might be gradual over time. I can't leave this passage without telling you 
What a joy and a privilege it is to serve Christ with you. Because I see Jesus in you. The love you have shown me and the love you have shown each other has taught me so much about our Lord. At the end of verse 16, Paul states, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. We can guess that the Judaizers were criticizing Paul again because Paul did not come from the mother church in Jerusalem. The false teachers were claiming that Paul did not get his gospel from an authorized dealer. Paul didn't go to Jerusalem. Paul went to Arabia instead. Why? Arabia. Paul doesn't tell us why he went to Arabia. Perhaps Paul went to preach. Or maybe the Lord took Paul aside to prepare him in solitude for ministry. Men like Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, and even Jesus had wilderness experiences where God took them alone for periods of alone time to prepare for ministry. You know, in our modern American culture, we live by the phrase that says, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Well, sometimes God clears our schedule for a while so he can have our undivided attention. Our Arabia might be a short retreat, like the family retreat that the Camarillas were talking about. Or it could be a long sabbatical. It could also be an illness or a job change or some other circumstance that takes us out of the rat race for a while. When this happens to you, don't fight it. Trust the Lord completely because he's preparing you for what he knows is coming next. Paul's reason for mentioning Arabia wasn't so that we could sit here and speculate why he went. He mentioned it for a very special reason. He mentioned it to show that he did not receive his commission from the apostles. He did not go to Jerusalem to see the apostles. He did not consult with them. Paul didn't need to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was leading Paul. Jesus was commissioning Paul. And Jesus was teaching Paul. The original apostles received the gospel from Jesus during his earthly ministry. Paul received the very same gospel from Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. How do we know it was the same gospel? We will get that proof when we get to verses 23 and 24 in a few minutes. But notice this. Did you see this? After his time in Arabia, where did Paul go? Where did he return? Damascus. Why is that so special? Remember? That's where Paul was headed. He had a plan. He was a man with a plan. He's going to go to Damascus to persecute the Christians. But when he went there, he didn't come to persecute. He came to preach the word of the Lord. The book of Acts tells us that while in Damascus, it was Paul that came under persecution from the Jews. Look at verse 18 to 20. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, what I am writing to you, I assure you before God, that I am not lying. Paul spent three silent years, three silent years in obscurity before God sent him to Jerusalem. Remember Paul? Remember what he was like in his former life? He was a workaholic. He was a fast climber. He was a go, go, go. His day planner was full. But now Paul had a new master named Jesus. And Paul was very content to go at God's pace. And he would go wherever and whenever Jesus led him total change for that man. When Paul finally made it to Jerusalem, it was not because he was summoned to meet with the apostles. 
Paul went to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, Peter. Why did he want to meet Peter? Well, Paul doesn't tell us, but we can probably imagine it's because Peter was such a close companion of the Lord, and Peter was the leader of the apostles and the most powerful preacher of the gospel of Christ. Do you notice that Paul makes a point of saying he spent 15 days with Peter? Why be so specific about the duration of the visit? Why harp on this seemingly unimportant fact? Why not just say, well, I hung out with Peter for a while? Probably because 15 days were enough for Paul and Peter to compare notes and get acquainted, but certainly not long enough for Paul to be trained by Peter. Remember, Paul is reminding his readers that his gospel came from Jesus alone and no one else. The only other person Paul met in Jerusalem was James, the Lord's brother. Why didn't Jesus, why didn't Paul meet with the other apostles? Where were the other apostles? <laughs> doesn't say, but we can probably imagine they were scared to death of Paul. I imagine if I was one of those apostles, I'd decide this is the perfect time to go visit and minister to those churches far at the end of the territory, right? Get out of town for a while. But it makes sense, doesn't it, if you know Peter, that he would be bold enough to take that first meeting with Paul. Love Peter. This is a hard verse for me. In verse 20, Paul says, When I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Here's Paul taking an oath like he's in a court of law. Does that hurt your heart? This kills me. Paul loved the Galatians. Paul labored among the Galatians. He was their pastor. He was their teacher. Paul devoted his life. Paul risked his life to bring them the true, true words of Jesus, words of eternal life, grace, salvation. But the false teachers, these wolves in sheep's clothing, <laughs> convinced many Galatians to mistrust Paul. So now Paul has been forced to affirm and reaffirm his calling and message over and over again. You know, our enemy, the devil, he loves it when we doubt our godly leaders. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me have the map, please. Uh, I want you to look at this map while we read the final verses. Can you hope you can see that? We're going to read the final verses of this chapter that prove that Paul was preaching the same gospel as the original apostles preached. See if you can follow along on the map here. He says, Then I went to the regions of... So, after leaving Jerusalem, he went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Do you see that above... Palestine. He went to Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So after meeting with Peter and James, Paul left Jerusalem and didn't stay in the area. He went north. You see that? To Syria. And then he went to Cilicia. This includes Paul's hometown of Tarsus, which is right above Syria, between Syria and Cilicia is Tarsus. And you can see Galatia there too in the middle of Turkey, what we call Turkey today. And the Christians were, that were in Judea, that's around all the area around Palestine and Jerusalem. All the, the Jewish Christians there were the ones that had fled Jerusalem when Paul was persecuting the church so badly three years before. And now all these Jew Jewish Christians were hearing that Paul, the persecutor, was preaching the faith. That's what the verse says, preaching the faith. Here's why that phrase, preaching the faith, is so important. Preaching the faith means the Jewish believers realized Paul was preaching this same gospel. 
the very same gospel that Peter and the other apostles preached to them. They didn't know Paul by sight because Paul wasn't called to go to them. Paul was called by God to go away to the realm of the Gentiles. So the Judaizers were claiming that Paul and his gospel were unapproved. So Paul responds to the end of his letter, first chapter here, with facts that were very easy to prove. Fact one, Paul has the endorsement of Peter, the leader of the church. Fact two, Paul has the endorsement of James, the Lord's brother. And fact three, Paul has the endorsement of all the Christian churches in Judea. Again, it breaks my heart. He had to go through the pain of having to answer that, but he did it for their sake, not his own. Can you imagine for a moment being a member of that first century church at this time? Paul might have broken into your house to question you. Paul may have arrested people that you knew and loved and threw them into some dirty, stinking prison where they were executed. But now, now you hear Paul is preaching the word of the Lord and people are coming to Christ all over the Roman world. False teachers, as Pastor Mark taught us last week, false teachers want glory for themselves. Paul sought only to glorify the the Lord. Believers throughout Judea were praising God for the miracle that he did in Paul. And guess what? Good news. God is still in the miracle business today. God makes the impossible possible. If you ever doubt that, just look what he did with Paul. I can't help but wonder how many believers were praying for Paul when he was persecuting them. I wonder if any of them ever thought they were wasting their time praying for the likes of Paul, the persecutor, the murderer. Our prayers are never wasted. Not one. And Paul is proof that we must never underestimate the power of God to change someone's life, even our own. When we trust in Jesus, God takes our raw materials and he puts them to use for his glory, for his work. What were Paul's raw materials? Leadership ability, self-discipline, persistence, passion, devotion, boldness, and many more. And God used all those things in Paul to spread the gospel throughout the Roman world and to spread the gospel to you and me here today in the modern world reading Paul's letter to the Galatians. But God also replaces our unusable materials. God took away Paul's hatred, pride, and anger and replaced them with the fruit of the Spirit that Paul will write about when we get to Galatians 5. He gave Paul love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and more. So this brings us to the end of Galatians chapter 1. Let's not walk out of here without answering the question that this passage is asking each one of us. We've read Paul's story. What's your story? What's your story? Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your Lord? Have you surrendered your life to him? Are you still on the outside looking in? Are you rejoicing tonight in the unbelievable grace of God? Or are you trying to work the way to heaven? Is someone glorifying God because of you? Is your life changed in some way by Jesus? If it has, try to share that with someone this week. 
You'd be amazed who God might bring across your path someone that needs to hear how Jesus has been real to you. Our prayer team will be here after we close in prayer. If you want prayer for anything, we'll be right here to my left to right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for telling us about the life of Paul. Thank you, Lord, for loving us before we were born, even loving us at our worst. We don't deserve your grace, Lord. But we sure thank you for it, and thank you was way too small of a word. Now, Father, please bless us with boldness to share the truth of your power in our lives with someone this week. We ask this in the name of the one who is higher than all names, our Lord Jesus.